Erev Tov, good evening, good afternoon to those of you in the U.S. We are continuing in the introduction of Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin. Today's shiur, and I hope to cover all of it in today's shiur, so we'll be doing a lot of Hebrew text today, uh, will be familiar to anybody who studied with me for any significant amount of time. And even if you have not studied with me for a significant amount of time, if you have been to my UK series of shiurim, uh, on Maran and accepting the rulings of Maran HaShulchan Aruch. So this will really be a summary of those shiurim, though a little bit different. As with Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin, everything in his world is a little bit different. And so this piece, as much as it may be a review for some of us, is crucial to understanding where Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is going to go with this narrative of Maran, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Yisraelish, the author of the Mapa, the commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. And he needs to set this stage for us, for everything he's going to present to us afterwards. So before we can go any further, if we have discussed lack of unity, discord, infighting in the Jewish community, different episodes throughout history of Jews disagreeing with each other, splitting apart from each other, the Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin eventually is going to try and suggest for us a vision for the future. In order to do that, he has to focus on an episode in which unity was attempted. And I'll argue that this unity, as I titled today's shiur, is unity through conformity. Maran, Rabbi Yosef Karo, author of the Shulchan Aruch, trying to get the Jewish people to conform. Conformity, I know in the modern mind, it brings about negative connotations, but it's not always a negative thing to conform to something. Perhaps I could get in trouble for saying that today. But in the world of conformity would mean, let's agree on something. That's essentially what Maran would be suggesting. Let's agree on a path of halakha that the Jewish people can all get behind and go forward. And that's exactly what Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is going to focus on today. So on page 11 of your PDF, 13 of the Roman numerals, Like what he said last week, let's continue, we'll repeat the last sentence he said last week. After suggesting to us Rabbi Tzvi Hershchayas' attitude that Sephardim and Ashkenazim are pretty much identical with minor, minor differences, he argues, he said, and I don't agree with Rabbi Tzvi Hershchayas, because it can't be that Sephardim and Ashkenazim are identical to each other, or are even so similar, because I'm going to show you a collection of minhagim in which Sephardim and Ashkenazim differ as, diff as far as east and west from each other. What was the reason? That Maran, the Bet Yosef, and you should know when Sephardim of yesterday said the word Maran, Maran only refers to one person. When you say Maran, that's Rabbi Yosef Karo. There is no other Maran. There's no Maran this one, Maran that one. In today's uh, Sephardic world, already Maran means Rabbi Bar Yosef. Rabbi Yosef is called the Chida, Maran, Maran the Ben Ishchai, Maran this one, Maran that one. Maran is Maran. That's all. We have one Maran. And it's important to know that, not because I wish to make Maran the ultimate leader for everyone, but when you read a Sephardic text and it doesn't quote somebody's name, it just says Maran, this is who it's referring to. Ma hayta siba. Shemaran Abet Yosef. What was the reason that Maran, the author of the Bet Yosef, Why did he suddenly feel the need to compose his work, Bet Yosef, which is a commentary on the existing legal code of the two? And then he wrote a his own book called the Shulchan Aruch. Meaning, what was the purpose of writing a Bet Yosef, which is a commentary on the two? And then writing a Shulchan Aruch. What was Maran's purpose? Anybody who looks at the introductions of Maran to his Bet Yosef and his Shulchan Aruch, let's just quickly differentiate. What is the Bet Yosef and what is the Shulchan Aruch? Just simple terms, let's define them. How are they different? Tell me. Bet Yosef is on the tour. Right. What does it do on the tour? It, it equates, the, brings together the, the it, gives, it gives 
במהלך הפסוקה That's the Shulchan Aruch. Right? So the Bet Yosef is a commentary on the two, and he's showing you all the sources. The way it brings together, he brings together all the sources, the Mishnayot and the Gemarot and the Rambam and the Arif and the Rosh and whatever else he wants to quote. And then in the Shulchan Aruch, it's just a book of bottom line conclusions. There's no conversation there. It's just, it's a Shulchan Aruch. It's literally a set table. You just go, take what you need, and you walk away from there. No, and no actual legal conversation. So someone who looks at the introductions, and therefore there are two different introductions, there are two different types of books, will be clear to them that the whole purpose, the driving force behind Maran was Lasim Ketz, to put an end to the religious separation. Religion is causing Jewish people to be separate from each other. And Maran wished to solve this problem of disunity by suggesting his Shulchan Aruch. And he wanted to bring together the Rechokim. This is not referring to Kiruv, as you might use the word today. Kiruv Rechokim here, he means bringing close the extremes. So there are extremes. Maran is trying to bring the extremes closer to each other. He's trying to bridge a gap between extremes, lo bizroa, not with force. Velaached hauma the guf echad, and he wanted to unite these two extremes of the nation into one body, one cohesive unit. Veatik lefanecha tamtid devarav, and I'll copy for you briefly his words, Maran Shulchan's words. So, really, the purpose of Maran Shulchan Aruch is to put an end to religious separation, not by force but by suggesting an alternative the Jewish people can get behind. And there's a few things here that are going on. One is that there are extremes, whether you like it or not. There are extremes in the Jewish community. Now today, I'm pretty sure if Maran was trying to unite two opposite extremes, today you're trying to unite 2,000 opposite extremes. That's already a different problem that we have that you need a couple of Marans to figure out. But what Maran is dealing with, perhaps, and I'm just going to perhaps, there are Sephardim and there are Ashkenazim. And they both view the legal code of the Talmud through different lens. Some through Chachmei Svarad, some through Chachmei Ashkenaz. Now let's be fair, like I was in my class at the Chavura, and that is that among the Svaradim themselves, there already was disparity between community and community. Which communities were of the northern Svaradim and the southern Svaradim today that might be similar in your minds? Uh, it's not true then, but now the Eastern Sephardim and the Western Sephardim, and in and of these groups, there were subgroups already that were arguing about details on Halakha. And Maran says, I cannot force people. He's not a Sanhedrin. He doesn't have the power to force people. He's not looking to force people. But suggesting an alternative to how people can learn Halakha so the Jewish people can get behind one book. And let's look on page, on the next page. And this is an excerpt with a lot of dots, so Rabbi Shantov Gagin is omitting many areas that he doesn't feel are relevant for us. This is the introduction of Maran to his book, the Bet Yosef. Says Maran, because our exile has lasted so long, we've gone from bad thing to bad thing, we went from exile to exile, we're separated and so much suffering has befallen us. He said, it's not anymore a problem like in the times of the Talmud, where our rabbis were concerned of one Torah becoming becoming two Torah. Rather, we have an innumerable amount of Torah. There are so many Torah, it's not just two. And who's to blame for that? The abundance of Jewish books that exist. There are too many Jewish books. Nobody knows where to learn halakha from anymore. Nobody knows which books are authoritative and which ones are not. No one knows. And this has caused us to be separated. All these books of halakha which are trying to clarify and elucidate the laws of the Jewish people. And therefore, that I, Yosef, Ben Moreno Harav, Ephraim Karo, the son of our Rabbi Ephraim Karo. Now the father of Maran is a unique personality. If you look here in footnote 30, 
אביו, רבי אפרים קארו, סזר בשל דוב גגין, his father, רבי אפרים קארו, היה גם כן גדול בתורה. He was also a giant in Torah. ובנו, his son, מרן, הביא בשמו כמה הלכות. He quotes him as a halachic source in a number of places. And he mentions here a few different places where Maran mentions his father. If you look at the last name, who maskir gam et dodo Rabbi Karo. He also mentioned his teshuvot and even Ezer. He mentioned his uncle Rabbi Tzchak Karo. So you have here a family of Tamei Chamei. Maran is not just a, he says he's a humble one among the people of Israel, but really he comes from an illustrious rabbinic family. Kineti laHashem enohet zevaot. I have been zealous for the God of Israel. And I wanted to pave the way for the Jewish people. I wanted to write a book which would explain all the laws of the Jewish people from their roots, from their origins, from the source down. From the Talmud. With the various uh, and, and different interpretations of the poskim of those gemarot initially I had intended to write my commentary on the book Mishneh Torah of the Rambam part of me wonders if Maran would have stuck to his original plan how much more well received his Torah would have been than some of the more fringe elements of Sephardic Jewry he decided, for reasons he lists, instead of writing his commentary on the Rambam, to write his commentary on the tool. The tool is Rabbeinu Yaakov, the son of the Rosh. Who is the Rosh to Sfarad? What is his... Who is he? Say something positive before you say something negative. Chance to figure out what's positive. <laughs> what, what, what's negative? I mean, he, uh, he moved to Spain uh, with his father. His father was um, completely uh, mismanaged, but he, he moved to Spain and, uh, um, and, you know, he became, you know, a rabbi of community there and he was quite well respected. So, so the, very good. Mark. His father was the tour, no? The, the tour is the son of the Rosh. So the Rosh, the Rosh comes along. He is probably, and I don't know if we have earlier precedents in history, I'm not an expert in, in all of Jewish history. But he's perhaps the first Ashkenazi rabbi to accept the pulpit in a Sephardic country. And the Rosh becomes a tremendous personality in Sephardic. Now, there are those who he is their rabbi, he is their teacher, he is their leader. So what if he is Ashkenazi? He's our rabbi. And there are those among the Sephardim who either, you can argue which came first, the chicken or the egg, who persecuted who first. But for whatever reason, the Rosh was not their rabbi. Many people have accused Moroccan Jews, for example, over the years of being Ashkenazified when Chabad came to Morocco. Because there are certain minhagim that seem very similar to Ashkenazi customs. And uh, the Moroccan Chachamim have already explained many, 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 many times over that the Rosh was a serious force among the Jews of Spain. And the Jews of Spain ultimately ended up in Morocco. You know, you have different Moroccan communities. You have the Megoshim, you have the Mistalavim, you have the locals and the ones that come from Spain. Nonetheless, there is definitely a contingency of Sephardim whose rabbi and teacher is an Ashkenazi rabbi. And because of that, it shouldn't surprise you that a thousand years later, you still find traces of certain Ashkenazi traditions inside of a Sephardic community. So the Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the Rosh, he is an Ashkenazi Jew born in a Sephardic community, at least living his life in a Sephardic community. And he writes a book of halakha different than the Rambam. The Rambam, whose book of halakha is very clear and doesn't mention opinions, it simply tells a restatement of the oral law. The two tries to incorporate many other opinions of how you read the oral law into his two. And because of that, Maran says, The two's book contains in it many, many of the opinions of the poskim. And instead of having to deal with one opinion and elaborate on the rest, Maran felt that the tool had already done a very good job at bringing many sources already. And as I was writing my commentary on the tool, says Maran, I decided to rule halakha based on the three pillars of Jewish law. Ha'al-Fasi, that's Rabbi Yitzchak Al-Fasi of North Africa. Ha'rambam, that's Rabbi Moshe Ben Maimon 
also Sevaradim. Veharosh, and Rabbeinu Asher, who is the father of the two. So what does Maran do? He has these three pillars of Halakha. And wherever the Halakha is in agreement among all three, that's the Halakha. When two go against one, Halakha is like two. So he always goes with the majority. And there's some kind of interesting voting system that goes on here. And you can argue whether or not this is really a method of determining halakha, or is this just determining the consensus of halakha. There definitely is room for that. Is it legal analysis per se? Now what does benehem? And let's go to the next page. And any place where there is an argument among the three pillars of halakha. So Rambam says one thing, Darif says one thing, Darosh says another thing. They all disagree with each other. Naskim ledat shnayim ha-shlosha ele will either go based on two out of the three and if so kalachak motam sorry this is meaning says Maran he's always going to do two out of three im lo shekol chachmei Yisrael rubam chulkim anahem and this is my rule unless the majority of the sages many all of the sages of Israel or the majority of the sages of Israel disagree with one of these opinions in that case I will go based on the numerous chachamim even if they go against my three pillars of halakha. And that's why sometimes you'll find that Maran doesn't rule in any consistent fashion, because there are other opinions that Maran is also taking into consideration. And if there is a situation that arises in halakha, where none of these rabbis shared an opinion, I will rule based on the opinions of any of the other great Chachamim that we're familiar with. Now look here at footnote 31. These are some of the rabbis that Maran uses inside of his book, the Shulchan Aruch, the Beit Yosef. 31. See footnote 31 at the bottom of the page? So there are two Talmudim he bakes himself on. That's the Babylonian and the Jerusalem Talmud. Pirush Rashi, Tosfot, Harif, Harambam, Hasagot Ravad, the critique of the Ravad on the Rambam, Harosh, Haran, Rabbeinu Nisim, Hamordechai, Magid Mishneh, Rabbein Yerucham, Sefer Teruma, Shibolelekit, Rokeach, Sharei Dora, Tashbat, Rada, who's Rada? Rabbi David? Aleph, give me an Aleph. He codified many minhagim. Some say Abu Draham, some say Abu Derham. Ha'itur, Nimukei Yosef, Hasmag, and in very rare instances, says Rabbi Shantov Gagin, he quotes in the name of the Zohar things, and there are, there are limited instances in which Maran quotes things from the Zohar. And there are some other ones. So what Maran does, is he brings literally dozens and dozens of opinions that were not mentioned onto the commentary of the two. So he writes about Yosef trying to give representation to as many Jewish opinions as he can possibly get his hand on. And this leads us to the introduction of his Shulchan Aruch. So back on the top of the page. So now I wish to copy for you the introduction of Maran himself to his Shulchan Aruch. So this is no longer in the Beit Yosef. This is the introduction to Maran and his Shulchan Aruch. I saw it in my heart. That it's a good thing to make a summary of my book, Beit Yosef, which is a huge amount of work to study through. To take just the bottom line conclusions. He writes literally to pick the roses from my garden. So he's taking all the roses, meaning everything you need to know from the Beit Yosef. So the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be memorized in the mouth of every Jewish person. Because when someone asks a Talmud Chacham, a Halacha, he won't start stuttering and mumbling and not know the answer in the halakha. By the way, there's a prohibition to not know the answer of a halakha. There's a famous ran in Masech Nadarim. Rabbeinu Nisim writes, V'hagita bo yomam That you must study Torah day and night. Why? For which purpose? So when you were asked the matter of halakha, 
You shouldn't start mumbling, stutter. You shouldn't start hesitating. That's the right word. I want to use the proper word. You shouldn't hesitate when answering a halakhic question. You should know the answer to a halakhic question. By the way, Maran, the dot, dot, dot here that Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is omitting, Maran says, and also every child should be able to know Shukhan Aruch by heart. So not just for rabbis, but for the children. It should be taught in school to memorize the Shukhan Aruch. And then everybody will know halakha. Will be clear every when they ask this question, this rabbi, wherever he is, this child, wherever they are, they will be able to answer any halachic question that comes to them. But of course I know the answer. It's written in Yoredeah, it's written in Rachaim, it's written in Evan I know what it says in Choshim Mishpat. Everything I know. It's very easy. How do you study Shulchan Aruch by heart? How do you make that happen? Says Maran, I have a plan. I have written my Shulchan Aruch in 30 parts. That way, every person can study one section of Shulchan Aruch every day. And it turns out, that every month, you finish the entire Shulchan Aruch. And so if you finish the entire Shulchan Aruch every month, that means that every year you finish the Shulchan Aruch 12 times. So by the time you finish learning the Shulchan Aruch, which halakha do you not know? Everything is clear. Everything is known to you. Who here has studied Shulchan Aruch inside before? Have you studied Shulchan Aruch inside with uh, Nosek Kelly? Not the whole thing. How long would it take you to study the whole thing? More or less than 30 days? More, but he's, he's not it's telling you to read through it, just, you know. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. Maran writes a book to be complicated on the tool. And what happens is nobody can leave Maran's summary alone. Everybody decides to write commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. So now what you have, when you open up a Shulchan Aruch, you have three sentences from Maran, and paragraphs and paragraphs surrounding Maran's words, those are called the Nosek Kelim, or the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. And ultimately, if one wanted to study Shulchan Aruch today, you would have to, which 30 volumes? 30 volumes would be the size of your, your I can't even tell you the size of a book you'd have. Imagine every volume is the size of a Tanakh. Maran is talking about a little book he wrote, the Shulchan Aruch on its own. Have you seen Shulchan Aruch on its own? Maybe whatever chumash you have at home, that's the size of a Shulchan Aruch, printed in nice letters, big letters, just Maran. You could easily finish that book every month. By the way, I'll tell you the truth. You don't have to study the whole Shulchan Aruch. But a person should make it, not a, if you can't make it a habit every day, at least once in your life. Take just the Shulchan Aruch, just Shulchan Aruch. And study all of Orachayim, the first volume, all of it, all of it. Waking up in the morning, tefillah, washing your hands, food, the holiday, Shabbat, all those things. And then if you feel brave, so take the next volume, Yoredeah, and study through the halachot that are there. Shechita, you can skip, I don't know if you're going to be doing Shechita, but Basar Bechalav, Taruvot, Kashrut, all the laws of immersing utensils in the mikveh, all the laws of bread and food cooked by non-Jews, the laws of Nida, the laws of Mikveot, the laws of Tzedakah, the laws of Giyur, the laws of, you can finish, those, forget every, the rest of Shulchan Aruch. Do one and a half volumes of Shulchan Aruch. And you will know more halakha than most people that you know. Yes, more. So I've, tr- I've tried that. I remember a few years ago, um, you put it on the boot to do it. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite a long game. Would it not be like better to do the, the Mishnah Torah? You know, prepare every, every day. What do you think? So you can definitely do the Mishnah Torah as well. Like, like we, you know, Maran, Maran is, is 95% the Rambam anyways. In my opinion, and I'm on camera, I'll be careful what I say. In my opinion, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah is more ordered, more clear than Maran Shulchan Aruch. Um, Maran Shulchan Aruch sometimes uses words that you have to know something else in context to understand them. So there's a, there's, it's, it's difficult. It's sometimes Maran can be cryptic, whereas the Rambam is very clear. I would say, I would say, I would say this though. 
I will say that if you're going to study the Rambam that way, do me the same favor that I told you about Shulchan Aruch and skip half of the Mishneh Torah. Skip half of it. All the laws of Korbanot, all of that. do first, memorize by heart, all of the Mishneh Torah that talks about uh, the, first, uh, the first two volumes of Mishneh Torah you want, maybe the last, some of the last volumes, know those ones well, and then come back later when you have a chance and review the rest of it. I mean, right now, I'm not, it's not the purpose of knowing the whole code. It's at least knowing the parts of the code that are relevant to you. Nah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you not to study Mishnah Torah. But here, Maran Shulchan Aruch was intended for this. And I'll tell you just one benefit. One benefit is that when you study Maran, you can also study the Ramah together. And this will help you very much in your day-to-day life. What the Rambam won't necessarily help you is when you live in a world that is mixed up. Sephardim and Ashkenazim. And sometimes you have to explain yourself. Or sometimes you have to understand why they're not doing things the way you're doing them or something else like that. Uh, in my experience, opening up Shulchan um, Aruch and showing that the Ramah agrees with Maran has gone a much longer way than opening up a Mishneh Torah, which in the psyche of many Jewish communities, not mine, but many Jewish communities, we don't hold like the Rambam. They, very easy to say that about Rambam, very hard to say that about the Shulchan Aruch with the Ramah. Now, can you say it? For sure. You'll meet Jewish communities, all kinds of things. But in my opinion, sometimes this will help you in your interpersonal relationships in the Jewish community. I'm saying that kindly. Yeah. So Maran actually printed a volume of Shulchan Aruch in his life. If you look at footnote 32. So Maran's first edition of Shulchan Aruch obviously didn't have the notes of the Ramah on them. He just gives you the years, different years of printings of Maran. Back on top. Maran printed a small edition, so every time Chacham could keep it in his pocket, keep it under his arm, and review halachot. And because of this, Maran made halacha accessible in one small volume to every Chacham, every Dayan, every Posek, every rabbi in the world was able to get their hands on a volume of Maran Shulchan Aruch. And like that, he acquired for himself a reputation among the Jewish people as the leader of halakha and the Jewish people. You should know, I'll just tell you that sometimes some of this is marketing. Putting out a book in a small format that people could carry around with them. I spent a lot of time trying to understand how his books, aside from their brilliance and their, their wisdom that is found in them, but why else have, had his books spread across the Sephardic community in ways that other chief rabbis, right before him or right after him, were not successful? And I only really understood this when I lived in Israel. I lived in Israel, and I had to build my library there. And you go to the store, you want to buy yourself a set of svarim, and you want to study the laws of Shabbat, I'll give you an example, laws of Shabbat. You go to the store, you have options, laws of Shabbat, this set, that set, the next set. Chacham Avodei Yosef's books at least when I was living in Israel. They don't cost you more than 30 shekels of volume. That's, that's, I don't know how, many, how much that comes out in pounds. Someone help me with the conversion? Benji, you're, you're our uh, resident Israeli here. So 30 shekel now is about uh, 8 pounds. Eight pounds. It's, reason, it's reasonable for a book? Yeah. Yeah, of course. A hardcover book with nice print and nice paper. If you go to the store, you want to buy another set in Hechot Shabbat, you can end up spending three times that amount on another set. You want to go buy Shailot V'Chuvot, a question and answer, responsa. You're going to go buy a set, it's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of shkalim. Chalmdeo said, you could buy it for 200 shekels was able to bring the books to Tamidei Chamim at a rate that they could afford in books that they wanted to study from. And ultimately, this gained him a reputation that many people, young Tamidei Chamim especially, were able to afford his books. They were not hard to find. They were available in every store. They were very, very cheap. Maran was able to conquer the Sephardic world, at least, later the rest of the Jewish world, in a similar way. He made his book useful, accessible, and everyone needed it. Sifra Bet Yosef, his book, the Bet Yosef, Maran's Bet Yosef became the go-to book 
for understanding the sources and the evolution of halakha from the Talmud until where we are today. You open up a Talmud. You want to say, where, how, did, how do we get from this teaching all the way to what we do today? Maran's Bet Yosef is going to help you. You want to read the Rambam and understand how we got from the Halakha, Maran's Kesem Mishnah will help you. You look at the tool, you want to understand how the Halakha got, you look at the Bet Yosef, Maran will help you. You want to understand the bottom line of the Halakha, look at the Shulchan Aruch, Maran will help you. Maran gains for himself a reputation as the go-to person, the address that you want to have whenever it comes to Psikat Halakha. Nimtan, it comes out, that in his lifetime, in the generations immediately after his death, that his name was admired in the mouth of every Jewish person. And he was the rabbi of pretty much all the Jews in the world. Now, obviously, Bishop Dovgagin is being very flowery. When you say the rabbi of all the Jews in the world, it doesn't mean the only authority, the only rabbi. It means a personality that everybody was learning his books, whether they argued with them or they agreed with them, but he now became someone that they studied. There, you know, there are many titles they give rabbis, and you open up books and you see a rabbi's title. This one is Harav, this one is Harav Gaon, this was Maran Harav Gaon, this one is, everyone, the, 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 normally the less important the rabbi is, the greater amount of titles they give the rabbi before his name. You have to compensate for what he's not. And you sometimes, I remember seeing a book, it said the rabbi's name, right before the rabbi's name, they wrote Rash Kabahag, the acronym, Rash Kabahag. What does it mean, Rash Kabahag? You know this acronym? Have you heard it before? So you just, you just, you just read it now. Look, Rabban Shel Kol Bnei Hagola, the Rabbi of the whole Jewish people. Now I'm opening up this book. It says Rabbi So and So Rash Kabahag, and I said to myself, you know, if I wasn't in this Judaica store right now, I probably would never have heard of this Rabbi's name. I mean, he's a rabbi of some little yeshiva in Bnei Brak. I appreciate it very much. I know that you think your rabbi is the best rabbi, but, but I promise you that nobody else aside from you has heard of him. Why would you title someone's name Rash Kabahag? It's almost embarrassing. But we didn't even hear of him, let alone that he's our rabbi. There are though chachamim, certain chachamim, that you can say about them Rash Kabahag. The Rambam, you can definitely say, the which better midrash in the world doesn't have the writings of the Rambam? Which better midrash doesn't have a copy of Shulchan Aruch? Those are rabbis that you could say about them, Rabban Jolko Bnei Agoda. And from that day where Brahma spread his tablecloth, his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, this became the book of Halakha, practical Halakha. And how many giants of Halakha chose to adorn the Shulchan Aruch with the commentary of the Ramah with their own uh, ornaments, with their own commentaries on the page of the Shulchan Aruch. Let's talk very briefly for a moment how it works. Ramah, Ramah is a rabbi in Krakow, Poland. Why is a rabbi in Krakow writing a commentary on a Sephardic work of Halakha that is coming out of Israel? What's the story? Who was in my class about Maran? Or my Pesach class maybe? Can you repeat the question? Yeah. Why does Rama, an Ashkenazi rabbi, involve himself so much with a book of a Sephardic rabbi, the Shulchan Aruch? Well, you go with Rabbi Benji, tell This is very important. Thank you, Rabenji. This is one is very important. This story here is the Rama is writing. You know, two people are working on the opposite sides of the world. They're working on the same project. How do we get a simplified code of halakha to the Jewish people? The Rama is working for about 10 years on this project. A few months before he brings his book to print. You have to remember, this is not Microsoft Word documents. This is, this is writing by hand. There's no Barilan responsive project. There's no Safari. There's no Google. There's no, you have to do all of this work by hand. You have to know all of this Torah. To write a summary of the Halakha, you have to know Halakha in a non-normal way. The Ramah is just about to publish his book. And some Sephardic rabbi from Tzfat puts out a Shulchan Aruch. In today's Judaism, 
all that would happen is the rabbi in Poland would put out a notice to his community. It's forbidden to study the heretical teachings of the rabbi from there. They make a pashkavil, they go around, they burn the books, they ban the books, whatever is going to happen. And Rabbi Israelish wins the show when his students study this, his shulchan. It's not what he does. Benjamin just anava. His humility. Rama says, how could I make the Jewish people separated by studying two different books of Hanukkah? I am going to bury my book. Lignos, he buried his book. And he began writing a brand new commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. And if Maran Shulchan Aruch means a set table, the Rama says, I'm putting the tablecloth on the table. That's my contribution. And the Rama essentially is responsible for uniting the Jewish people around the Shulchan Aruch. Had the Rama not been the better man, Today you'd have two books of halakha, one for Sefaradim, one for Ashkenazim, and I wouldn't be able to say, well, which Bede doesn't have a Shulchan Aruch? Today, every Bede has a Shulchan Aruch with the Ramah's commentary, and that's due to the great humility of the Ramah. There's a letter between the Ramah and Maran, where Ramah calls Maran Nesi Elohim Betochenu. You are the prince of God in our midst. The Ramah says, Anyone who argues with Maran, it's like he's arguing with HaKadosh Bochu himself. Now, you have to then explain why Ramah argues with Maran, but that's what the Ramah says towards Maran. And there's an interesting book. If you might miss it, you might have it in your home. There's a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch with the notes. Kitzur Shulchan was written by who? Who is the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch? The first one, not the... There's many today. The original. Very good. Rav Shlomo Gansfried. Rav Shlomo Gansfried was a Hungarian rabbi. Uh, very special to Mikhan. I think it was a mistake in the Jewish world that that became the book that everybody studied. Not, I'm not saying anything derogatory about it, but it, it, it's made many people think of halakha in a way that they don't necessarily need to. By the way, I just got a copy last week. In my hands, finally, I got a copy on his commentary on the Torah. He has a very short commentary on the Torah. I finally found it in a used bookstore somewhere. They sent it to me, and it never came. It never came. It got lost in the United States Postal Service somewhere in some bag. And they said, forget it. They, they wanted to refund me the money. And then just before Shabbat, just before Shabbat, the post, uh, postal worker shows up. Here's an envelope for you. And inside was the writing of uh, Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried on the, on the Parashat Shavuah. I was so grateful. that My fear was I lost the book. So not only would I not have it, but you can't buy this book. It's not available in the store anywhere. And I was so sad. I was like, of all the books to lose, why did it have to be the one I can't, I can't find anywhere? And Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave that gift to me. Mamash, right before Shabbat. I brought it to the Beda Knesset here on Shabbat and I was able to study from it. Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried, his book has become very popular in Jewish day schools and many places where they teach Halakha. And Mordechai Eliyahu felt that in Israel it wasn't representative of Sephardic teachings. So he thought that he should write a book for Sephardic students to study in school. And so he spent a number of years writing a book called The Kisu Ben Ishchai. As you know, Chamor Chaliyah was very uh, close with the teachings of the Ben Ishchai. And so he wanted to write an abridged version of the Ben Ishchai. Probably omitting the Kabbalah and all those things, just uh, halachot for the students in, in modern Hebrew. And he said he realized that if he would publish this book, then now Jewish day schools would have this dilemma. Ashkenazi kids are studying Kitzur Shkanuch, Sephardic kids are studying Kitzur uh, Ben Ishchai. He said instead, he put away that book, and he said in the spirit of the Ramah, he's writing a commentary on the Kitzur Shkanuch, with Sephardic teachings. So whenever Sephardic teachings disagree with what's written in the Kitsu, he makes a footnote. And this way, you have a Kitsu Shulchan Aruch that has on it the notes both of an Ashkenazi rabbi and a Sephardic rabbi. I found that to be an inspiring story that even Chachamim of our generation were able to think like this. In order to understand the reason, to understand why the Ramah feels if he feels so strongly about Maran, why does he feel the need to write notes on the Shulchan Aruch? Why not just leave the Shulchan Aruch the way it is? It's important for me to quote to you a little bit from his introduction, the Ramah's introduction to Shulchan Aruch. And he has a beautiful footnote here, 33. See footnote 33? It says, says Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin, Tamid ha'iti tameh. I was always wondering, Madu'a ha'madpisim hishmitu ma'shulchan Aruch ha'akdamot shal Maran u'moram. Why did all of the publishers of Shulchan Aruch, today not included, so the early, why did all of them omit the introductions of Maran and the Ramah of Shulchan Aruch? If you look at old Shulchan Aruch, you won't find Maran's introduction to the book. You won't find the Ramah's introduction to the book. They're not printed there. Why did they 
He says that they should have imitated the printers of Venezia and Amsterdam, that they always printed the introductions of Maran and Arama and also the Be'er HaGola. I have a set of Shulchan Aruch and the other Berakneset here. It's an old one, printed in New York, probably in the 40s or the 50s. And there they really took these words to heart. And every single volume of Shulchan Aruch, no matter which volume it is, they have the introduction of Maran and Arama. So you take out volume number 12, it's like you're starting the book all over again. They have the introduction printed all over, but it's important. Says the Ramah, The genius, the author of the Bet Yosef and the Shulchan Aruch, He didn't leave me any room to add to him. Meaning he did a terrific job, a thorough job. I only needed to collect some of the later teachings that he didn't mention. And I felt the need to show the customs that we Jews in these countries, Ashkenazi Jews, were accustomed to. Bati Akharava came after him, they forced Mapala Shukhanaruch Shekhiber to spread a tablecloth over the set table that Maran has prepared. And on the top of the next page. And I wish to add all kinds of delicious things that people like to eat them. And this is the table which will be set before Hashem. So then the problem that we Ashkenazi Jews have with the Shulchan Aruch is that there are so many things that are written in the Shulchan Aruch that we Ashkenazi Jews don't follow. We're not accustomed to following the ways of Maran. And therefore this book has become irrelevant to us. Our rabbis already taught us, we don't learn anything from general rules. Even in particular cases. That especially if the rabbis tell us we don't rely blindly on set rules, then how much more so a rule that Maran himself invented to rule like the Rif and the Rambam. And because of this methodology of Maran, there are many things that are written in his books that are not halachic for us. Based on the writings of the Chachamim that we drink their waters. And they are the leaders of the Ashkenazi Jews. And it seems that Maran, when he writes the Shulchan Aruch, he thinks that all of his words were given by Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai. And he expected the students to come afterwards and to drink his words thirstily without arguing with him. And if we allow the Shulchan Aruch to take over, then all of the Minhagim of the Ashkenazim will be decimated. Therefore, And I therefore decided, to write my commentary, to show wherever we disagree, wherever our Ashkenazi rabbis disagree with what he writes in the Shulchan Aruch. Now later, Rabbi Shantov Gagin will accuse Rama of undermining the unity project of Maran. And later he will, he will accuse him of that. I don't want to do that right now. But the Rama serves a practical purpose. Because he wants people, when they study Shulchan Aruch, to know what Ashkenazi Jews do as well, he spread his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. Now finally, Rabbi Shantov Gagin is going to talk. And I, the servant of these great rabbis. I'm, I'm bewildered by the words of the Ramah. He says that the Maran made a rule on his own to rule according to the Rif and the Rambam. By the way, I just want to let you know, this rule is not Maran's invention. In my class in the Chavua, I showed you that there, this methodology of choosing two out of three it already existed before Maran, and it could be that that was the motivator that got Maran to adopt this method in the first place. Why does he neglect to mention that Maran intentionally incorporated an Ashkenazi rabbi into the mix? That Maran will even rule against the Rambam sometimes if the Rosh and the Rif agree with each other. 
וידוע הוא לכל פוסק גדולתו וקדושתו של הראש. And every פוסק knows about the greatness and the holiness of the ראש. I'm putting aside now anything written in anti-Maimonidi and demons, anything to do with what happened there in the political side. Here I'm talking on a halachic level. אשר היה אריב שבחבורה, he was the lion of his colleague. וכל רבני אשכנז וסרד סומכים על הוראותיו, ואשכנזי and Sephardic rabbis feel comfortable relying on his opinions. ואחרי מות הרשב"א, after the death of the רשב"א, נשאר הראש יחיד בדורו בספרד, הראש was left the only one like him in Spain. ולישיבתו הגדולה אשר יסד בטולדה נהרו תלמידים מכל קצבי ארץ. And in his great yeshiva in Toledo, all of these Jews, students from all over the world came to study. ועוד במה שהתרעם שרוב האחרונים חולקים עליהם. הלא מרן כבר כתב שם אם לא בקצת מקומות שכל חכמי ישראל רובם חולקים על הדעה ההוא, ולכן פשט מנהג להפך. said, you're upset, Tarama, that sometimes Maran, there are things that the customs disagree with. He said, Maran already mentioned in his introduction that there are times where he takes other opinions into consideration if the other rabbis of the Jewish people disagree with these three. ואם בקצת ארצות נהגו איסור, אף על פי שאנו נכריע בהפך, יחזיקו במנהגם. says Maran that if there are instances where I write something that's prohibited, I write something that's permitted, and in their countries there was a minhag to prohibit something, אף על פי כן יחזיקו במנהגם, כי כבר קיבלו עליהם דברי החם האוסר, ואסור להם לנהוג יותר. I leave room for those who have a different opinion, says Maran. I'm not trying to get you to change your opinion. ובזה שר הפחד של הרמה במה שכתב על ידי נזבשו בספריו. He says, and therefore the רמה can rest assured that even Maran was not trying to decimate your מנהגים. Now he takes issue with the רמה. The רמה said that Maran saw himself as if he was משה רבנו על מעון סיני. וחלילה לומר על מרן, and how dare you say about מרן, God forbid you should say about him, שכל פסקיו בשולחן ערוך, חשבם כנתנה משה מפי הגבורה. That he thought that everything that he writes בשולחן ערוך, you should treat like משה רבנו גבר על מעון סיני. כי בפירוש כתב בהקדמת בית יוסף, שעלה בראשונה בדעתו לסומכו לספר הרמב״ם, אבל בראותו כפסקיו, כגוזר ואומר, הסכים לסומכו לספר התורים, כי הוא כולל רוב דעות הפוסקים. מרן already said, I wanted to write my commentary on the Rambam. But because I saw that the Rambam simply rules halachot and doesn't give you other opinions, I decided to go to the tool, which is a book that contains many opinions. Says the uh, Rabbi Shem Tov again to the Ramah, how dare you say Maran is trying to make it sound like his opinion is the only one. Maran in, neglected, uh, Maran, Maran avoided writing a commentary on the Rambam because he felt the Rambam had neglected to mention opinions other than his own. And, and, and I, um, when I say Rambam's other opinions other than his own, meaning the law as understood by the Rambam, as, and not the way understood by other people. And therefore he went to the tool to incorporate other minhagim. If you want to look up a fun kriyakav, if you look in Shmot, Perek Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Yud Bet, the kriyakav uses the word of gozer veomer, this phrase. That HaKadosh Baruch he is gozer veomer. He says something and you have to accept my opinion. Maran didn't act that way. Maran didn't rule things that you have to accept what I say. That wasn't Maran. Why would you accuse Maran of such a thing? V'chadashot ani magid. So that I'm saying now something new. And the truth is that I'm not familiar enough with the history behind what he's writing here. In my edition of the Tshuvot Mo'aribal that he quotes here, I couldn't find this Tshuvah in the right place. V'chadashot ani magid. And I'm telling you something new, says Rabbi Shem Tov Gagid. K'shemaran chiber ha-shukhan aruch, that when Maran wrote the shukhan aruch, כלל בו גם מנהגי קהילות רומניה הקדומים בעיר קושטה. He also included the Romanian מנהגים that were found in, in קושטה. In קושטה is Turkey, yeah? המיוסדים על פי מנהג אשכנז וצרפת, which are based off of the Ashkenazi French and German customs, ולא על פי חכמי תולדיתונה שבספרד, and not on the Spanish חכמים. ואם כל זה נמשכו הספרדים אחריהם, אז הספרדים also acted in accordance with some of these Ashkenazi rulings. מרן included not just the Ashkenazi rulings of the Rosh, but there are other instances where מרן includes Ashkenazi opinions in order to balance out the halachic picture that he's presenting. אבל הרואה יראה, but don't get too upset at the Ramah. Anybody who has eyes and vision will see כי לא הרמה היה הראשון לחלוק על מרן על אשר פשר לעניין ההוראה ללכת אחרי הריף הרמב״ם והראש. That it wasn't only the Ramah who didn't, alight, who didn't feel comfortable with Maran's decision to rule only according to these three rabbis. In my shiur in the UK, I think I spent an entire session on those who opposed the Shulchan Aruch, those who didn't want the Shulchan Aruch. There definitely was a trend like that. There were Sephardic, 
I'm mistaken. Maribal here, this Teshuma I do have. I quoted it for you in my class there. It's a different book that I'm referring to. In the Chuvot of the Maribal, he, maybe if I recall, didn't even allow the Bet Yosef inside of his Bet Midrash. They didn't want it there. Kigam bimei harama yetsa gam moreno harav Shlomo Luria neged Maran udvarav iduim the Marshal he argued against Maran he said some pretty bad things I don't want to say them. Vegam al tour atzmo charapo he was also living at the tour himself vekatav kimal lo sheiskim maviv harosh so what if the tour agrees with his father the rosh anu lo maskimim mo bedavar alacha the next top of the next page it's nice that you like your father we don't like your father we didn't agree with him. Uh, the Marshal was very sharp in his opposition towards codifying Jewish law in books. There are many places in Halakha where we don't agree with your father, the Rosh. This is the book that I was telling you. Morshach, I, I couldn't find them. My editions, I couldn't find this teshuvah. He wrote, That many, many people argued with Maran, even face to face. By the way, who is this Shach? This is not the Shach on the Shulchan Aruch. This is a Mor Shach. Have you heard of Rabbi Shalomo Kohen before? You should look him up afterwards. Rabbi Shalomo Kohen. he lived in Greece in the year 1540 to 1602. So that makes him 62 years old. And he was one of the great Chachamim in, in Yavan, in Greece at the time. Vayena Hashla. Look in the writings of the Shla. Shara'at Shuvah B'Ktaviyad Arav Kastelitz. Look at the Shla. I don't have a copy of the Shla in my home, so I wasn't able to look this up myself. Uh, okay, one day we'll have. The Shla quotes a Mahari Kastelitz. He said he spoke words about Maran like fire was coming out of his mouth. Rockets were coming out of his mouth. But the Radbaz writes that in his time, everybody accepted this rule of ruling based on these three Amudei Ahoran, again, like I told you. So it's not Maran inventing something, but this is something that existed already. My last sentence here for today. The Katav Hagaon Chida, and the Vichayim Yosef David Azulai already wrote. I will tell you the truth. I heard in the names of great rabbis. Now, in my edition of the Chida, I'm almost positive, and I, I don't know by heart, if you have my Maran source sheets, it should say there, I'm almost positive that this word here is Kshishai, from the elder rabbis. But here, Bisham Dov Gagin says Kadishai, the holy rabbis. I don't know. You have to look at the version. I'm, I'm assuming by heart. From the great rabbi of our generation, Moreno Harav Chaim Abu Lafia. I spoke about him at length in my Chavua class. That he received the tradition from the elders of the generation. That 200 rabbis of his generation agreed to the rulings of Maran And he said, That anyone who follows the rulings of Maran, avid elu And they are following the words of 200 rabbis. When you follow the Shulchan Aruch, you're ruling in accordance with 200 Chachamim. Some say that's even why Maran is called Maran. Maran doesn't mean our master, but Maran stands for Mataim Rabbanim Nismach. He was agreed upon by 200 other Chachamim. Writes a similar thing in his book, Simchat Yom Tov. This is the end of my summary. Next week we're going to be doing something entirely different, but we needed this in order to understand what, what Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is going to do in the couple of months ahead. Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is going to present us with a list of things that Sephardim and Ashkenazim do differently. And then afterwards, and this is later on this summer, Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is going to present to us some. 30 or 40 places in which he believes that the Ashkenazi opinions of Halakha don't violate the Shulchan Aruch, but they violate the actual law as proposed by the Talmud, and he's part of a larger picture that Rabbi Shatov Gagin is trying to paint for us together. But as much as we may have studied together about Maran and the Ramah, it was important for me to review this background today, because we will not be able to understand what the big deal is in the coming weeks, unless we truly understand the story of Maran and the Ramah and the Shulchan Aruch. And I'll tell you this, that in the world that we live in today, even if Sephardim were to follow Maran and Ashkenazim were to follow the Ramah, we would be almost identical. 
almost identical. The Ramah doesn't argue with Maran everywhere. And even when he does, it's not always an argument. Sometimes it's an embellishment, sometimes an elaboration of a point. What has happened since the generation is not that Sephardim follow Maran and Ashkenazim follow the Ramah. There have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opinions that have come afterwards. And I would tell you the point that even Ashkenazim don't follow the Ramah. Maran, Sephardim follow him, but Ashkenazim, I don't know that they follow the Ramah. In our Bermidash, by Harav Peretz, Harav Peretz always told us that we give preference to the Ramah. So we study Shukhan Aruch for Sephardim. When an Ashkenazi Jew asks us a halachic question, the Ramah is the opinion we share with him. What about all the hundred other Ashkenazi opinions? So he mentioned what Ramad mentioned before about anava, humility, that Ramah had. The fact that Ramah was one who was trying to unite the Jewish people. And we give him great respect. He, for us, is considered the end of the line for Ashkenazim when we rule Halakha for them. There was an opportunity. And the opportunity was for Maran to unite the Jewish people. I still believe this is something that could happen. But I know how much farther away we are from this than we were hundreds of years ago. Nonetheless, Maran and the Ramah together, this book of the Shulchan Aruch together with both of their opinions, does contain inside of it much of the secret, much of the answer to how we can unite the Jewish people. Though one might argue that this type of unity is unity through conformity. So you're asking me to abandon things that are important to me, traditions that are important to me, to sign up onto a book that's called the Shulchan Aruch. Why should I do that? Why should I conform to your understanding of Jewish law? Now, you know, that's a really good question. It's a really good question. And at this point in our shiur, I want to end off with the following thought. And I think that question, it comes from a place that is important, it's real. I'm validating that complaint. It also comes along with a lot of arrogance. It's the arrogance of why should I have to change in order to make peace in the Jewish people. And this attitude, you're right. We can always be ideologues and hold our ground and put our stick in the mud and we're not going to cross this line and we'll never cross over to your side. And that's what the Jewish people have been doing for 2,000 years. And that's why we spent the last two months discussing all of these different instances where there were Samaritans and there were Karaites and there were Perushim and there were all the different and the Hasidim and the Mitnagdim. And everybody in the Jewish people always has to be right. And because they always have to be right, no one is willing to become one. So then at the very least say, you know what? I'm not willing to conform. You know why I don't want to conform? Because I don't really believe in unity. Well, if I don't really believe in unity, well, then the introduction of Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is useless. Because the introduction of Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is predicated on the fact that we see Jewish unity as a value. And even if that means that we're all going to have to give something up in order to be able to eat with each other again, and pray with each other again, and marry each other again, and go to the same schools again, and go to the same synagogues again, in order to do that, we'll each have to sacrifice something? Fine, call it conformity. Use that negative word. But the goal at the end will be unity. That whole, that what we'll get out of it will be something that is powerful. And I think that we live in a Jewish world where so many people just want to be right. Nobody wants to give in. Nobody wants to budge. Nobody wants to compromise. Maran, as I presented to you then, Maran is a man who believes that compromise is the right way to bring peace. Who knows? I once saw... Right? That when we take three steps back at the end of the Amidah, what verse do we say? Which Pasuk do we say? A prayer, we say. He who makes peace in Shamayim should make peace down below and all the Jewish people, Amen. And he said, you know, it's something very interesting. That in order to make peace, Jewish tradition has us take three steps back. There's something to be said that if you want to have peace in the world, you sometimes have to be willing to take a step back from your stance. You can't always stand your ground and expect that the whole world will be peaceful. There's a flip side of this. The flip side of this is what about the truth? What about emet? Do we just give in for peace? What about the truth? And one day you and I will sit down and have a conversation about the never-ending war between the two values of emet and shalom. You know, there's a famous midrash about a Kadosh Baruch Hu creating the world. And he wanted to create the world and he consulted with the word emet and emet didn't want it. He consulted with shalom, shalom wanted And the, the, there was an argument over there. The Kotzka Rebbe ended up saying, there's a commentary there in the Midrash, the Kotzka Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk. He said, you know, anywhere where you have shalom, you don't have emet. Anywhere where you have peace, there's no truth. Because you have to be deceitful to have peace. He was very negative about this attitude of peace. And he said, wherever you have peace, Peace, you definitely don't have truth. 
And I don't know that you have to summarize the world in that way. The Prophet tells us, that ultimately the Jewish people will learn to love, not like, not get along, will learn to love these values of emit and shalom. There is a way to bring about a compromise that is also truthful and a truth that is also peaceful. Bezat Hashem, Rabbi Shantov Gagin will guide us in the coming weeks to that path, but first he has to present the problem and we'll be doing that together in the coming weeks. Bezat Hashem. Thank you so much for learning with me tonight.